Hello and welcome to the Chichester Festival Theatre Podcast. We'll be chatting through everything from Festival 2018 to the backstage crew and beyond. I'm George Bailey and I will be your host for this series. Joining me will be a whole bunch of incredible guests in interviews, chats and other fun segments. So sit back, relax and enjoy what we have in store for you. So I'm here with Mike Bartlett, the writer of Cock, which is running in the Minerva Theatre here at Chichester Festival Theatre until the 27th of October. Mike has a list of credits as long as both of my arms, with notable works in both stage and screen, ranging from King Charles III, which has enjoyed a UK tour and TV film adaptation, his hit ITV series Dr Foster, which had its successful second season air late 2017, to his latest series Press, which is currently on BBC. His plays have won him three Olivier Awards across his career, as well as his TV work, earning him a BAFTA nomination in 2013 for The Town. It's fair to say he's a man who has a lot under his belt and shows little sign of stopping anytime soon, and I've been dying to talk to him for a while. So hello Mike, how Hi. are you today? I'm good, how are you? Good, yeah, I'm not bad, thank you, I'm good. not bad. Um, so we're currently sat in Chichester, backstage uh, in the Festival Theatre. Cock is running at the moment, it's great acclaim thus far. Have you been in and out a fair bit? Yeah, I've um, seen the previews recently and it's, yeah, good. Going all well, is it all right? <laughs> I think so, you know, there's that moment when um, it first is put in front of an audience and it's interesting with a new play, when you don't know it at all, for me the first preview is is, is pointless almost. I'm just sat there in terror hearing the magic roundabout theme in my head. With this play, with a revival, it's, it's, I mean, it's not something I really had much experience of, so actually you don't get that feeling because you have a sense that the play works, but of course every production changes and, and also every audience changes. So it's a little bit better than having a brand new play, but not much. Is this play in terms of how you're kind of involved with it, is it has it been different this time round to when it was first produced at the Royal Court? Oh yeah, completely. And you want it to be. It's or it's a whole bunch of different people and um that's the one of the joys of theatre is that you you re, you not only remake it every night when in performance with a different audience, but you know, one of the joys of being a playwright is it's not it's not like television where you make it and that's it and it's now on your shelf as a DVD getting old. It is inevitably revitalised in every performance, but particularly in every production. And as a as a writer, you want it to be completely different and completely new. So it is. Yeah, it's great. Looking back to where you first started, what were your experience like when you first started out as a playwright? So what sort of age did you start writing? Well, I started writing um, at, at school, I think. But I didn't want to be a writer. I, I, I wanted to be a, a theatre director by the time I was sort of 16, I think. And I just wrote bits to sort of as things to do really when I couldn't find a play and that carried on through university I was right I wrote plays at university but it was mainly just I don't know I mean I, I suppose I look back at it now and think clearly I was wanting to express something that wasn't as a theatre director it clearly I was wanting to write about the world but but no my focus was making theatre and, and then it only really changed once I got to about 23 24 and I was trying to get work as an assistant director in London and failing completely and I had time on my hands, sadly. So I, I, I wrote a proper play and sort of went from there. But it was something, it was, it, like a lot of people, I was acting, I was even designing at the university. And it takes a while to find, you know you, know you love theatre, but it takes a while to find your, your best place. Mm, yeah. mm. Um, and so was it just that thing of not being able to quite find like work as a director that made you shift to writing? Or was there something a bit more kind of deeply in you that was like, oh, I want to actually put words to paper? Yeah, well, as I say, I, I, I'd been doing it for 10 years before that, quite a bit. So 
clearly there was something there. And, 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 you know, I was doing it sort of because I would look at plays and think I can't find any I want to direct, which is not a great sign if, if you think you want to be a director. I think it's, it is all pointing in the fact of me being um, uh, a writer. And, and, since, and since I found that, um, I, I went from being quite anxious sort of as a director, thinking I don't know uh, what to say or I don't know how to sell myself or all that sort of stuff to being much more relaxed because it was all about just the play in the room and it was um and it was a, a, you know the play is in a way like a bridge between the real world and the world of art and I feel like that's a place that I like to be not entirely 100% in the theatre world all the time um but being in the real world and 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 always mixing the two I think that's sort of the job really yeah and it's funny because um when reading your plays you sort of have these kind of beautiful stage directions that kind of are very elaborate and sort of it really does paint like an image of what you kind of see the world as and it kind of is a really nice insight into what you saw when you wanted to kind of write the play and have it staged do you think something feeds into kind of those older interests of being a director of, of putting those stage directions in of kind of painting that scene in a way I think definitely I'm a theatre maker I'm, I'm not a I don't think of myself. I mean, maybe more a bit now. I do. Th- I do love words, and I do love words on a page. But certainly, my route into it has been as a theatre maker, and it's all a process to make the three, four-dimensional piece of work on the stage, and that involves collaboration with, with um, the director and the actors and the company in the room. And I love that, and that's that's wonderful. So that everything in the play is a, is really a provocation to collaboration, and sometimes that will mean I have written plays with long. George Bernard Shaw style long descriptions of the set and other plays like Cock for instance just says there's no set no props no costume and there's no stage directions at all during the play so it, it but both of those things whether to have them or the absence of them is a provocation to a director in the company to say here's an artistic thing that needs both staging and solving and elevating and, and, and working on and I think that's the job mm. to provide a sort of um, interesting starting point. And so how do you go about sort of starting to write a first draft and obviously it, it'll be different for every project almost but do you kind of let an idea fester for a while or do you go get straight stuck in and see where the characters lead you what's your kind of uh, it, it genuinely is completely different and, and that's sort of deliberate because I want each piece of work to be different I don't want to get into a, a sort of factory style this is what I do and this is my process and so uh, broadly speaking with when I write longer plays they need to have more structure and so I, I plan them I do a plan in my notebook very roughly and then I redraft that plan many, many, many times until I'm happy that the structure works, the characters have all got the right dramatic drive, they know what they want, they know the obstacle that's in the way of that. With other plays like Cock, for instance, it was just more like how I understand Pinter wrote, which is just starting with dialogue, just two people talking. So the first scene in the play is two people talking and as they're talking and you don't know who they are. In the moment of writing, I didn't know who they were. I literally didn't know if they were men or women, where they were, what their relationship was. And that emerged over the first few scenes. And then once you do that, then you're in a process of half reading, uh, reading what you've written as you're then sort of improvising more of it. And then I think with this play and, and with others, the more you do that, the more you start to instinctively think what the structure is as you go. But I, I sort of always hesitate to describe a writing process because I really hope the next play will come out of a completely different writing process that I've never done before. And it keeps it exciting, I suppose, for you, because yeah. then it's like, where's it going to come from? That kind of... Yeah, and, and it's, it's, 
you know, it's like an actor working with different directors in a way. That's part of the joy. You don't have to fix, so why on earth would you? And so I noticed as well, you had a credit for uh, Old Vic New Voices 24-hour plays way back in like 2005. Yeah, we were the first. Yeah, the first year that did it. We were the first year that did it, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like such like a a trial to do that. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it was. I mean, the actual, I mean, other people who, like, there were much more witty playwrights in my year who, who made these amazing, not just witty, like Morgan Lloyd Malcolm was in our year and she and she wrote this amazing thing in 24 hours which was both funny political gorgeous like just brilliant i sat in my room and had a panic attack and wrote something that was not those things but the benefit of it was meeting all these people who had been chosen as sort of you know because there were so there were uh, writers directors and actors and they all came together for 24 hours to make a play and so you met all this, they'd all been chosen. So you met the people, your contemporaries in one group and you were sort of bonded together in, in peril. And um, there were some amazing people. There was, um, uh, in that year, Elizabeth Freestone, uh, uh, Claire Lizamore, my wife, was in that year, um, Duncan Macmillan, George, um, J- uh, George Perrin and, and James, James Grieve were in that year. Amazing people, you know, Jess Rain. And it really formed a sort of group. And I think that's often what you need, especially if you're a writer, actually, is a, a peer group and people who are going through it at the same time and you support each other. So That sounds fantastic. Like, that was. group is just incredible. How, what is your experience like with sort of like writing under pressure and time constraints? Is it something that you've had to do later on in your career? Because I know that you've now sort of merged over to TV as well. Is that something that's more prominent in that field as well? Yeah, I've always... I mean, I've always... I mean, actually, 24 hours is probably pushing it, but... But I've normally worked quite well with a deadline and I quite enjoy it and I think it does... And I set myself deadlines to get things done. Um, so I, I find it quite helpful. And then that that fact that I find it helpful is useful in television when you sometimes need to rewrite very quickly. So I suppose it's it, for me now it's the question I, I sort of can write quickly and if you sat me in a room for three days and said you've got to write a play or we'll shoot you, I would write a play and it would be probably be fine. The question is... And it was something that... The Royal Court literary manager said to me, actually, quite early on when I was there as a writer in residence, he was sort of talking about the choice of when to write fast and to have mammoth-style snappy dialogue and all of that. And then, completely as another choice, the choice to write slow, to write for like like Hemingway used to write three hours in the morning and and then he'd get to 11.30 and do no more writing and have the day to himself. And you think, oh, that sounds... I should do that. But the, what that means is you're producing work slowly. So when I wrote, I uh, did a play last year called Albion, and that was written far more like that. It was written a few hours every day. And I, f- I feel like in the play, it's a Chekhovian mode. So it really suited writing it slowly and these characters not being rushed. So weirdly, I mean, I think it's a bit like improvisation for me. The, 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 I want the, the mode of writing to be similar to the mode of, of the world of it. And the, and the impulses of the characters. So what is your relationship like usually with the creative team when a play of yours is uh, being produced? Does it differ from project to project? Yeah, it, it always, it's always different. It's always different people and, they, and different... And also different play. You, you have different demands on them and, and, and they have different demands of you and you get on in different ways. It does feel like some plays require me to be there a lot and to be very present and uh, rewriting and as much part of the day-to-day making of this play as an actor. And other plays, I'd just deliver the play and then sit in the corner and 
try and be useful but find that I'm not um, because the player is doing the work you know hopefully so um, again that's that's the fun of it and the, and the fun is is just I can't you know I can't think of any for me any better sort of professional experience than getting to spend five weeks putting on a play that I've written with a bunch of lovely and they are almost always lovely theatre people and it sounds a total cliche but there's something about something unusual about the act of getting together in a room and focusing on a real thing that's really there now which we don't do. We've always distracted. There's always a phone on the table. There's always three, fo- you know, focuses in any conversation or in any relationship. And you're always very aware of the thing you're not doing when you are doing something. So a rehearsal room, or in fact a theatre performance, is far more unique now than it was when I started ten years ago. And I just and and you and you bond with those creative team and those people through what can be a difficult process or a great process. But you do really make a, a group of friends and colleagues, and it's it's. It's great. There we are. I'm trying <laughs> to say something more controversial, but no. No, that's great. That's it's fantastic. Good. And what's it been like with Cock then, uh, now that it's sort of had its run in the Royal Court and now it's coming back with a completely different team? How was your relationship with the room there? Yeah, great. I mean, brilliant. I knew Kate. Um, I worked with her on Medea years ago. Luke, who's playing John, was in Albion last year. So, And then the others I don't know at all. And it's, you get you get to know them new. And I love that. I love having old friends and new people. And... I think also it's interesting. It's not. It's a. It's a ten years later from when we first did it. So it's a new generation and with a different. Inevitably, the world's moved on ten years in terms of attitudes towards identity and all of those things, and they've grown up in a different world from when we were doing it ten years ago, and that's really sort of interesting. I think that really, particularly with this play, is is fascinating. I read an interview you did with iNews recently and one line really struck me which was as a child he loved television and would study the Radio Times learning the names of jobbing actors and which formats played in which time slots. Can you explain that a bit more? Why on earth? How old are you? <laughs> uh, 20. No, yeah, so. 20? <laughs> yeah. Oh okay then that does require an explanation. <laughs> God that makes me sound so old doesn't it? I even asking <laughs> that. Um, so back in the day there was uh, no so um God, that probably does really require explanation. So it's like you've got four channels, mm-hmm. five, four channels, yeah, and you've got the Radio Times, and you've got no internet, but you like acting and performance, and you don't really come from a theatre family at all. So the only access I had was to um, television schedule, and in the Radio Times it would list the names of the actors who were in the shows, and... Um, uh, but you're, fa- you know, I was fascinated by. It. I just loved it, and I loved sitcom. I loved studio sitcom because it was quite like theatre. It was the closest I would get, I think. And now, I now, th- I mean, the more I think about it, sometimes that I think that love of theatre sort of came out of that, because studio sitcom is live performance captured by two or more cameras, with a live audience laughing at it. So it was, re- it's really quite close. Um, but I would love that. I would, I would love sort of. Bergerac, you know, and um, uh, even I'd watch anything like American shows and and all sorts of things. And it was just, um, I just love stories and I love stories being performed um, by actors and dramatically. And, and, but I didn't know how it was made. So I had like, there were two books in, in my school library about making television. One of them was The Making of Doctor Who which was a, a, a book, well, actually far more about the making of television 
it may have been called The Making of a Television Programme, and it happened to be about Doctor Who, but it told you all about what a script editor was and what a producer was and what a director was and what actors were. Um, and then occasionally in the Radio Times, it would you'd see that actor was in that and was in this other thing. So I would sort of make those connections, and I was just a geek, really. <laughs> That's the simple answer. And then when I, when I got into theatre, it was exactly the same. I would read Peter Hall's diaries from cover to cover. I would read all these books on theatre. I was desperate to be part of it. You know, and I love. Oh, I loved them um, on going live on Saturday mornings. They would sometimes show you the TV, BBC TV centre where they filmed it. You know, and I loved that getting in sort of behind the scenes. Partly, probably because I had absolutely no, didn't I? Didn't have a family member. I didn't have a friend. I didn't know anyone or anything about how to get in that world. So I was just sort of reading books and doing all that sort of thing. So I also read this interview recently, which um, asked about uh, which one of your plays you had most joy with. And you said uh, your play Cock, which was about fluid sexuality, seemed to chime with a lot of people and speak about their experiences. And you were amazed at the investment people had in the play watching it. So was it just the watching of the audience and seeing their reactions that that gave you the most joy? Or was it also in the writing process of it as well? That's a good question. Um, the The writing was actually quite sort of, not to pun, it was quite fluid. It was quite, it, it, it wasn't difficult. Other plays I've written have been really difficult and continue to be, but occasionally, like, and for me it's like twice, um, you start to write and you really enjoy and you find the characters funny, which sounds like you're finding yourself, when I say that, it sounds like you're finding yourself funny, which is awful. You're sat there chuckling as you're typing. But, um, but part of it is that the characters, are, feel, you feel like the characters are ahead of you. You feel like they're lying to you, you don't know why, that you feel like they're making jokes that you find funny. And then it feels like you're not really doing much work. You're just letting them go through this thing. And it did feel like that. And that was brilliant. And I wish it happened more often. And and, and um, the process of making it and the audience reaction was was very sort of, even though it's quite a tough play at points and it's got, you know, they, they do go through the mill. It was sort of joyful and people really... F- the reactions I've had is people taking the play very closely to them. Um, and I wondered, you know, it's interesting coming back to it now and some of the stuff we've been looking at in the room is that it's very much a play about love and all the characters are very loving and driven by love, uh, which is not true of some of my other plays. And that's interesting. You know, it, it's, you know, what, what, so in that sense, it has it in common with um, a romantic comedy or something. It's, it's lonely people in the world desperate to find someone to cling on to uh, and 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 I suppose we all have that experience we're all quite fragile really and craving love so we all feel close to it maybe when you watch it I don't know but it certainly is sort of unique in that way. In the writing of it what was it that you started with was it more character and story driven or was it a sort of response to the things that were going on around you? Well I it, I, it wasn't consciously any of that but I, I had friends who straight friends who had like had slept once with somebody of the same gender and vice versa and then and then didn't want to complicate their sexuality and were very proud that they're gay or very proud that they're straight now i think there's so many terms to describe that at the time of course they, those those terms were there but but they weren't so prevalent you didn't not everyone knew them and and it wasn't this idea of identity and the idea of choosing your identity in some sense or interrogating it or or naming it wasn't such a thing as it is now but but yeah those people those friends experiences were in my head and the idea that they the words they were using to define themselves as gay or straight would not fit for purpose and also I was in Mexico when I wrote it and they do cockfighting there and so I sort of had been starting to think what would happen if a play was like a cockfight and what would happen if a play was like a bullfight 
those things were in my head and then one day I started writing dialogue and those two things sort of came into it but it wasn't conscious in the act of writing. And you also said in that same interview that the main character John was really grating on you and he played a part in the naming of the play. Was it always your intention to write a character with that effect or did it kind of surface naturally during the process? Oh, I see. I think it was when I thought, I was a few scenes into it and I thought, oh, it's like a cockfight and it's about sexuality. I think it was only the third thing that he was, I think that one of the other characters calls him a cock and I thought, oh yeah, he's quite annoying. But that's actually not fair because across the play, I don't think he is annoying at all and I think that's one of the great or one of the things that certainly an actor brings to it is to make sure that you you understand because it could be that he's with his boyfriend he falls in love with a woman you could just go well just choose or don't or you know this feels a very indulgent problem why why is there drama here and actually hopefully what happens is that you do understand this problem and it's a real problem and that the actor takes you on that journey he's not being a cock he's not being um, selfish. He genuinely has just got too much love, and just two people. If they arrived sequentially, it would all be fine. They just happen to have arrived at the same time. So, I think maybe other people think he's a cock rather than I think that. So, and also, Kate said that for cock, uh, she decided she wanted to use an earlier draft than the published version. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We sort of looked at that in the first few days. Yeah. Why was that decision made, and what were the conversations surrounding it? Well, as I said, I've not done many revivals. So maybe this happens a lot, but it, it just means some of the changes were made to reflect what we were doing in that production or to make that production work. And then you want the text that you're publishing alongside that to be definitive with that production. When I came in here, you real, I remembered or realised that, that those decisions were not necessarily freestanding of that production and we should just go back to the original, particularly because it was written in quite a sort of instinctive sort of burst and you sort of want to preserve that and that there may be bits that actually in our version this time work in a different way so yeah I mean they're small I mean if you watch both you would never know they're, they're like three lines here and there they're a full stop or a, a word you know they're, they're small but yeah so one final question Mark what would Mark Bartlett's top tips on playwriting be for new and emerging writers okay top, <laughs> top tips I think the first thing is to um write a lot and accept that you are going to write really bad stuff for a long time because you need to practice that's true of any if you started playing cricket you would be bad at cricket to begin with um, and I think some writers start writing and write you know they would think a lot would be 10 things well that's nothing you need to write hours and hours of things to get good at it and um uh, but the great thing about that is that you don't have to show it to anyone. So brilliant, you just write, and then and just practice and just just enjoy it. Enjoy writing. Writing is an enjoyable thing. So just enjoy it. Don't get tortured by it. And then and then at some point when you feel like actually this, I think this is this isn't bad. And I think that that point will come because writing is a lovely combination of deep insecurity and over arrogance. So the arrogance at some point will kick in and go, oh, I think this is all right. At that point, start getting it performed. And then you will realise, no, you're wrong, it's bad, it's really bad and boring, and you'll sit there hating yourself as the audience just stares and starts thinking about their shopping. And then you'll learn, and then um, slowly you can get it performed, short play nights, reading it yourself, whatever. You'll learn through performance, which is uh, uh, you know, so vital as a playwright. It's completely different what works on the page to what works um, when actors do it and with an audience. Chris Thorpe said to me, 
he's a wonderful playwright from Leeds and I was at uni and he was he'd left and started his company Unlimited and he was the first real playwright I knew and he said it's just about tenacity really you just keep going until everyone else gives up and I think there is an element of that is that if if you're the one who's done the most practice if you've done the most writing good or bad if you've actually had it performed as much as physically possible and you've experienced that thing of 95% of it being rubbish think how much you've learnt I think writers often put too much emphasis on one amazing piece of work that they're doing when they're starting out and they can't get past it and they get stuck on it. And it might be that you're a work of genius, but why not just put it aside for now? You can always come back to it and write 10 other things and see. Do you know what I mean? Because like, you really need to develop the skills and, and just free it and then enjoy it. So write a lot is really the Write answer. a lot. The words from Mike Bartlett there. Thank you so much, Mike, for joining us. Great. It's been Thank so you. lovely chatting to you. And I hope everything else goes well for you for the rest of the year. Enjoy Great. Things. Thank you. You have been listening to the Chichester Festival Theatre Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, please do like and rate our series on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. Or leave us a comment on our Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening.